King Benjamin's address, in the first few chapters of Book of Mosiah and the Book of Mormon are fascinating. He begins with an Old Testament theme and then is going to shift it to New Testament verbiage. These are Old Testament people who become New Testament people kind of on the spot, right at the coronation of his son, Mosiah. King Benjamin is remarkable for trying to create unity among these uh, different kinds of people and yet do it from an Old Testament understanding. Understanding what he was trying to do and what Mormon, as he's abridging this, wants us to see is critical to understanding what's in the speech and critical to understanding what it is that is happening throughout the rest of Mosiah and indeed the rest of the Book of Mormon. Join us today as we prepare to study the great and long-lasting King Benjamin Address. Welcome to the Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, Opinions expressed by the teacher or class members do not constitute official church doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. Let's go ahead and start. Uh, oh, by way of information, I noticed la last time, if, just a reminder that when that we record this class, and then you can find it on Apple Podcasts uh, under, uh, of all things, Monday Morning Book of Mormon class. I tried to be really clever in my title. <laughs> so it's Monday Morning Book of Mormon class. You'll be able to find it. Uh, and so last week, we got about halfway through, and I think I sat on the microphone and turned it off. So we're about 30 minutes into the podcast, and it shut down. So I had to go back to my office last week and record another half hour that I added as an addendum to that. So I'm hoping I'm going to put my uh, microphone in my pocket this time, so hopefully we don't shut it down about halfway through. So, that's your own 116 pages. <laughs> <laughs> I have my yeah. Somewhere out there is that Kevin's 116 pages, and it's lost. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, that said, well let's uh, let's go ahead and get going here. Um, we raised we started to raise some questions last time, and I wanted to kind of do an extension of that as we start to roll into the book of Mosiah. Um, oh, that's your typical elders quorum meeting right there. All right. So we were talking last time about uh, one of the things that uh, Google and Facebook and everybody else has become really, really good at, and that is uh, polarizing us and compartmentalizing us. Okay, if uh, if I do a Google search for I don't know uh, Mayan temples, 
and Josh does a, a Google search for Mayan temple, his Google search and my Google search will look different. It will pull up things based on other things that we've looked for, our preferences. It just learns what we're shopping for. Okay, if, if, I, if I have you all as my friends on Facebook, uh, you have me, we all we share 100% all the same friends on Facebook. And I go to my Facebook feed, my Facebook feed will look different than yours. I will have different ads, certain things will be emphasized more. We've been tribalized. We, we've turned, turned everybody else that's not us into others. They are all others. And so we end up othering a lot. So if we're going to try and have, the, you know, the, this, this fall is going to be fun. It's going to be nice and quiet because it's an election year. <laughs> which means we're going to be tribalized again. And your feed will be, will be feeding you voices that are closer to your views. And somebody else's Facebook feed or, or something like that is going to be fed things that are closer to their view. And you begin to think the whole world thinks like you. Because all my friends think that, all my Facebook feed says that, we just are tribalized. And so because of that, we get tribalized and then we get polarized. I'm the smart one, the rest of the world is dumb. And we get stuck in those places. Why would anybody in the world think this when this is actually logical and all my feeds say this is logical? Okay? So, so in the middle of all that then, the church draws its membership from tribes of people that are going to come in and they're going to meet with each other. And, and do you get to pick what wards you go to? No, you're in a geographical group, which means you move to an area, you look up your address, it plugs you into what geographical ward. You go to that ward, and what are you going to find? It's, it's a various group of people, right? Uh, who have different ideas and thoughts and everything that are that may be way different from yours. Uh, we were talking last time. One of the things I'm going to try and say to my group um, during this next couple of weeks, as we're as we're in uh, Corinth and Ephesus and places like that, is that poor Paul had this experience of trying to walk into a town like Corinth and speak in the synagogue and then make tents in the marketplace and then draw people together on a Sunday uh, to, the, to their, uh, somebody's house, Priscilla's house in, in the case of Corinth. They're going to gather together and who's he going to see sitting in front of him? He's going to have Jews, covenant people. He's going to have Greeks, the smart people. The, he's going to have Romans. The strong people, you know, he's going to have, uh, and then as he goes along, as we're uh, over time, then he's going to have super Christianized people, and they're going to be rigid and better than everybody else. Not that that ever happens in your ward, but so he's got all of these group of people, and they got to get along. How do we how do we get this group to function when they have such diverse ideas about the world that they live in? Okay. So that, that's what you see in sacrament meeting. You look around and they are, they are a d diverse group. Uh, now at the same time, Zion tells us that we're supposed to be of one heart and one mind. Now, I remember growing up in the 60s, what that meant for the church was one heart, one mind, and we all look alike. <laughs> 
Our, our buildings all look the same. You know, the lessons are all the same. The answers are the same in, uh, in Kansas or Keokuk or uh, Korea. We're looking for the same answers for the same questions. And then we're going to correlate our lessons so that we're even teaching the same lessons on the same day to give the same answers in the same building that looks the same, okay? Um, when, when I moved uh, a couple of weeks ago when I got the key for this building, I think I've taught here once or twice, but once I got the key, I knew where the power thing was for the screen. <laughs> I knew how the lights worked. <laughs> You know, I'm in here all by myself, and it's like, okay, I know this, I know this, I know this. I did, I did the same thing in a building in, uh, in College Station. Walked in, oh, I know where everything is. Do, we're not sure where this is. I know where it is. You know, it's like our buildings are all the same. We, we tend to be a little bit homogenized, but we're in a more polarized world. And it's making it harder to say, of course everybody believes like me. Huh? Unless I'm a Democrat, then I don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So, so here's my question. And I think it's one of those that Paul ran into. What's the difference, or is there a difference, between conflict and contention? What would be the difference? Yeah. It's all right to have a different opinion, but we cross over the line when we let anger in. When we start to throw anger into it, okay? Resentment, anger, frustration, uh, the otherness. The otherness, right? And now we're sorting through to see what this means for me, okay? In, in, my, in my office as a therapist, when I'm doing, when I'm doing uh, marriage counseling with people, one of the things I found in a hurry, so what happens if there's contention and now I'm going to respond in some kind of anger? So I'm, gonna, I'm now going to be angry. I'm going to protect my opinion, okay? And I'm throwing anger in your direction. What do you usually do? Respond and kind. Okay. If I'm going to be angry pushing forward, what do you do? Push back. Push back. Okay. So I got my anger. Now you've got your anger. And now I've got, now I'm defensive because you're angry. So I got to up my game a little bit. And then you're going to up your game. And normally what that means, like if we're fighting for the same loaf of bread or toilet paper in the, in store, I'm going to up my game, which means I need to up my volume. So now I'm going to be a little bit more contentious and you're going to be a little bit more contentious. Okay. And then, not only are you going to be louder, then you need to, like, you know, and on top of that, you're fat. <laughs> on, top, on top of that, you're stupid. I don't even like your opinion. I don't like you. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So, one other thing, aside from anger, is compulsion. If somebody's in a position of authority, like a parent versus a child, or a teacher versus a student, or whatever, if they try and impose their opinion, and push with that authority in a compulsive manner that is Satan's plan compulsion it is and I'm gonna push and it's interesting some people will push back but but for instance if I'm kind of a narcissistic guy I'm always right of course I'm right I'm me <laughs> and what I say is better and cooler than everybody else's and it's really about me by the way it's about me in case you didn't know that 
Who do I tend to marry? If I'm a narcissistic, always smart, really strong, opinionated, intelligent, charismatic guy, who am I going to marry? So, yes, I need a people pleaser, right? So I'm going to tell you and you're going to nod your head, not because I'm right, but just because you don't want to get in another argument for the next three hours and you'd like to go to bed. And I started at 11 o'clock. <laughs> so, yep, you're right. You're smart. You're wonderful. You're powerful. Can we go to sleep now? I don't care about the opinion. I just want to go to bed. I don't want to be stuck in another argument. So I always worry a little bit when, when people will come in and say, my parents never argued. They ne there was never any, there might not have been contention, but there were, was there conflict? No, they were always on the same page for everything. I never heard them argue or disagree. Well, what are we basically saying? Somebody got run over. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I, think I, I think I told you uh, uh, last semester, so there was a, a couple of years ago when Cindy and I, uh, all the kids were out of town for Thanksgiving. Cindy just had gallbladder surgery. She wasn't in a place to travel. Uh, all of our other friends had other plans, so we were going to have this first Thanksgiving, and it was just going to be us and the cowboy game. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so I ordered, I ordered Thanksgiving dinner from Mimi's, which, by the way, does a really good Thanksgiving dinner. So I ordered this all-in-one thing from Mimi's, okay? So I went over to Mimi's on, on Thanksgiving morning. I stand line. Yes, I'm here for my Thanksgiving dinner. Great. Awesome. And there were two little ladies sitting, standing next to me. So she takes my order, and then she says, can we help you? And they're looking at me. And she said, uh, we want two cheeseburgers. <laughs> and fries and lays out this whole thing right uh, great be out in just a few minutes and I'm standing there you know and I turned to the lady next to me and I said cheeseburgers on Thanksgiving <laughs> and she said well you need to understand um, our mother died about two weeks ago and and it was and I said I'm so sorry and she says it, it's okay and everything but we always wanted cheeseburgers oh. on Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she's got like a little mischievous, it's almost like she's going to look around and say, Mom isn't here, right? No, we're getting cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> she said, now, don't worry. Our kids are coming. We're going to have Thanksgiving on Saturday. But today we get cheeseburgers. <laughs> and nobody could ever say no to Mom. Okay? So, so I think it's one of those things that we struggle with to say, how do we handle differences among us? Um, and, and one of the questions that I'm, I'm not necessarily, there's a lot of ways that we could avoid contention um, and just kind of get run over, or we don't bring it up, or, okay? I want you to hang that in the air for just a second. Because now the wonderful thing about what we're going to look at today is, how did King Benjamin do it? Because we talked about last time that we think that there's a good chance that Benjamin was not born Benjamin. His father was Mosiah, who Hugh Nibley thought was a mix of Moses and Josiah. Mosiah. Okay, remember kingly names. You know, you get a different name as a king than you probably grew up with. 
Okay? And so Benjamin was the uniter, and we think there's a good chance that he was called Benjamin. Why? Because, yeah, the tribe of Benjamin traditionally for Saul had been the uniter of tribes. And he's going to unite, in this case, some, some Judah, some, some Ishmael, and some... Those two. <laughs> I was thinking from Zoram, but this was really from Hezekiah. Okay. Let's at least assume Judah and Manasseh. What did Benjamin's name mean? Because he was the ben, 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 ben Yamin. Um, you know what I'm talking about. She, he, he, he was given his name because he was his mother died in bringing him forth. Right? Yeah, I'm trying to think. It's, 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 it'd be son of Ben. Ben is son of, and, and I'm not remember what Yamin is. But I thought it, it, it meant right. my travail. It, my It's what? Son of my sorrow or son of my travail. There it is. To son of the right hand. There you go. The so, yeah. Thinking that since Mosiah had to flee with all of the righteous who would follow him, that must have been quite a travail to have. And this is this is my son of the travail. Yes. That, 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 that would certainly and also the son of the right hand. So that, that could also work. Right. Okay. Okay, so so let's, let's just quickly review from last time. So here's what Mosiah, uh, the first, we remember that Mosiah, he's going to lead the Nephites on an Exodus-like journey out of the land of Nephi. And it, it was a great thrilling story, right? We've read that many times of this Exodus out of, okay, it was 116 pages, only a few people got to read it. Okay. So he's going to lead them, out, lead them out of Nephi. He establishes peace and unity with the people of Zarahemla, the Mulekites. Uh, he kind of establishes some of his bona fides because he's able to translate ancient writings in addition to teaching, uh, teaching the language. He also has, and we don't know how he did this, because remember, he's not of the kingly line and he's not of the prophet line. But what does he end up in his possession? The, the brass plates, the Urim and Thummim, the Leahona, the sword. He's got the sacred relics, all endemic of who the king is. And somehow he got this away from whoever was the king in Nephi. We don't know how he got these, but he got them. So that gave him some uh, legitimacy. And again, someday we'll get to read the 116 pages and maybe Mormon detailed how he got that stuff away from him. Okay? Now, it's interesting. We know what Mosiah did, and we know some of the things that he said. It's interesting that there also appears to be things that Mosiah did not know. As we're going to talk about at length, he did not, it appears that he did not know the name of the Savior, the mission of the Savior, or the full extent of the atonement. Purity didn't know that. He didn't get it from the wicked kings, and apparently Amalickiah didn't have it either. Which really, truly, as we're going to talk about, made him, made Mosiah, a very Old Testament prophet. And we're going to find out that King Benjamin begins an Old Testament prophet and becomes a New Testament prophet. 
So is it possible that he received his calling from the Lord and was instructed of the Lord to grab the records and get out? Probably. And he didn't have time to read them. Yeah. You think maybe he chopped the head off of the old king or something on his way out of town? I, I, I think the Lamanites <laughs> took care of that. Oh, yeah, oh, the Lamanites might have wiped, but that means it was sitting around. So somehow they were able to collect it and grab the, grab run. Stuff yeah. Don't read it now. Read it later. I, I, I saw some uh, Book of Mormon scholars speculating on the fact that maybe he married into the family, and so he was able to receive some of that by inheritance, which, you know, okay. We can all guess. We can all speculate. It's clear that he was born of the Lord. He was. He's being led by the Lord, and, and so he's, he's doing it from an Old Testament standpoint. Okay? And... So the reestablishing of the covenant and the reestablishing of the of uh, the covenant with Jesus is not in, doesn't happen in his lifetime, and it appears that for the vast majority of Benjamin's life, he didn't know it either. It's only when we get close to coronating Mosiah the second that suddenly this knowledge will come to him. So I think it's fascinating that most of the time with Zarahemla, and then. Uh, as, they're, as they're establishing peace, they're putting everybody together. He's doing it from an Old Testament framework. Benjamin carries on in an Old Testament framework. And then right at the end, we're going to see this shift when the angel comes and brings him up to date with stuff that Benjamin didn't know, Mosiah didn't know, and apparently Almachiah didn't know, or at least they didn't teach it. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of what, what makes this fun here. Okay, and Benjamin appears not to have known about the, the, uh, the Savior, his name, or his full mission. But what, what would they know then? If you're an Old Testament prophet, what do you know about what's coming? Messiah. A Messiah. And they will use those words. Instead of saying Jesus is coming, th there is a Messiah. And it's going to be our knowledge as we look at Isaiah and the Psalms and all of that to give us some insight about this Messiah that's going to come. But again, we don't have the full range. We have the Old Testament understanding. So you're going to watch a people become, they're going to go from Old Testament people to suddenly New Testament people in the course of over a couple of days. Kind of cool, huh? Keep in mind, how do we handle contention? Watch how, watch how he does this. Okay. All right. So here's, the, here's another interesting thing that then comes up. We'll add this layer on. So, so when we read the book of Mosiah, whose, whose writings for the most part are we reading? Who's the, who's the author of Mosiah? Actually, starting from chapter 3 moving forward. but Who's the author? Who wrote this? Benjamin? No. Who's the writer? Second. No. Mormon. This is the first book that we have in the Book of Mormon that is part of Mormon's uh, abridgment of the plates. So a lot of the time, the words in between, this is Mormon. Now, Mormon is not just abridging what he's reading. Mormon is also then saying, I have all these records in front of me. What do I put first and what do I put second? Let's organize this in a coherent sort of way. And it would make sense that if you're telling a story, don't you want to tell the story in chronological order? 
Oh no. Not of your Hebrew. <laughs> yeah. And and not of your Mormon because you have you have something in mind here. You're going to teach a lesson here. Okay? Now. So we need to we need to look at the time frame that we're looking at. The book of Mosiah is going to span everywhere from 200 BC to 91 BC. So if you just if you're just following, you can get an idea just by following the chapter headings in here. Uh, and so, where in all of this does King Benjamin come? He comes into the story about 130 BC down to about 124 BC, about halfway through the story. Okay, so we're going to get King Benjamin's address and it's going to roll on to Mosiah and we're going to get all of that. And then what does Mormon do? Then where does he go? People of Zenith. Now we'll go back to Zenith. So when is Zenith? And, and who was Zenith? Zenith was a descendant of Zarahemla who was a military man, caused a ruckus in the wilderness, wanted to repossess the land of Nephi right. talked a whole bunch of people into going down there with him and they stayed down there for 70, 80 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they got run out by the Lamanites again. Yeah, and so when does Zenith show up on the scene? During the reign of Benjamin. Nope. Zenith is back at 200 BC. We're going to go back in history. Okay? He's going to go, this is more back during Mosiah's time. Because uh, remember, at the end of this, we're going to have Malachi going, when they go out the second time, Malachi goes, hey, I got a brother that went with them, and I haven't seen this guy. He left. We figured last time his name might be Ishmael, but different. Okay, so, Zenith and Noah, and, and, and so Zenith is the father of King Noah, right? Okay. And that's going to last from about 200 to about 160. Okay. And then about that time, then this is when we get uh, Noah and the battle uh, with, uh, I think his elder Uchtdorf called him Abinabi <laughs> or Abinadi. Okay. So they are, th that's happening prior. Okay. And then after, just think about what you know about the, the book of Mosiah. Then what, what stories do we get after uh, Abinadi in front of King Noah? Now we get out the Alma story, right? Okay. So here comes Alma. We're going to get his stories and he's in the... You know, in the land of Helam and the waters of Mormon, and and then they're going to be put under subjection, and we get all of those great stories that we'll get into. Uh, I don't know at the rate we're going, maybe this spring. <laughs> um, so we're going to do all of that with Alma, and then after that, then we're going to get Limhi who was the son of Noah, and he's got his other little group. Okay? So, so we've got them, and then, and then we're going to actually, by the end of that, then we're going to get into some of uh, 
Alma the second or Alma the younger that's going to be about 92 BC okay now I just wanted you to see it graphically what was Mormon thinking why wouldn't he do it chronologically why is he going to give us an initial story at the beginning then go back and do all of these flashbacks uh, and then bring it all forward why might he have done this got two distinct priesthood lines that he has to pull together and the easy one is King Benjamin because it follows in mm -hmm. the story as where he's at and where he's going and then he has to come back and say now here's how Alma gets his authority and why he is authorized to start why he can do it okay so one would be to establish authority but by what authority did, did they do these things uh, but by the way on that idea Fun story from the, the past, uh, when, the, uh, when the saints in Africa uh, in the 50s all started joining the church, and, but the, the church wasn't sending anybody out there, and so they just, and they had like a gold, and I've seen this, kind of a gold-painted Angel Moroni at the beginning of their church, and this is Billy Johnson, who had like a stake, none of which were done, it was all done without priesthood, and they, and you know, so finally... President McKay's going to send somebody out there. Go find out what those guys are up to, you know. And, and they, they show up, and the, the uh, secretary to uh, President McKay holds a big meeting with all these saints, and he's trying to find out where they're coming from, and they're all, you know, just teeming over, right? And then he says, yes, uh, now, do, do you guys have any questions about anything? Hand shoots up. Yes. Where did Alma get his priesthood? <laughs> Where did he get the authority to baptize? <laughs> and, 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 the, and I've read the account, the, the President Secretary says, at that moment I knew how serious they were. Because they'd studied their Book of Mormon, they were asking deep, thoughtful questions, and they were, they were very, very serious about... With a purpose. The, yeah, they, wanted, they really wanted to know. Not just, hey, can we get paid? Can somebody send us some money? You know, which is what they were afraid was happening. Wasn't even close to that. Okay? So anyway, so one would be to trace priesthood. Why else would Mormon throw this completely out of order? Let the wheels turn. I see it's turning. Yeah. This is just speaking for me. Well, that's going to be, yeah. <laughs> it builds my testimony. It helps me see that I'm like many of those people. Yeah. My testimony is strong, but there are times it does this. And with this timeline, I'm able to see I'm, that's me. Okay, so it makes it a little more relatable to you. I can see me in that. Okay. Maybe I'm simplifying, but I always just thought they happened at the same time, so he had to lay them out somehow. Right. They are separate storylines. So sure. One, then the next, then the next. And it could have just been that's just the way that it laid out, or that's how the records came to him. That that's a possibility. Probably a reason. Well, I, yes, I have my opinion. I'm trying to draw it out of you. That see, that's what good teachers we sort of know something, and then we're trying to say, I want you to say what I'm thinking. <laughs> See if that works. Okay, hold on. You do that all the 
I, I occasionally do that all the time, yes. Sometimes I'll do that in my office. I, I, I think that part of it to me is that by telling both of the stories, you're into both of these people. Right. And then you can see these are two different groups and they come together. The unity that it brings. Okay, so because we're going to see different stories, Alma's uh, uh, experience and Limhi's experience, especially when they all come together, they all show up in Messiah's town, right? So he's looking at records, and he doesn't have the same word processors that we do today, or the same search. Vector. Yeah, it's like him and a stylus and some plates. So he's got King Benjamin's records, and he doesn't encounter. These records of Zenith, Noah, Abinadi, Alma, the, el the elder, until after he's into Mosiah's reign, because they those records and then they show up. They're kept. They don't get shown. They they don't show up and get added to the official record. Yeah. Until much later. Could have been. Could have been. But he, but in terms of organization, he also could have said, "Okay, I'm going to do Mosiah's reign," and then these guys show up. So let me. But wait a minute. Those are before. Let me, let me suggest something else that I think is going on, okay? And that is, one of the things that we get, and one of those things that uh, Brother Hayes is going to be running with uh, in the next uh, week or two, is King Benjamin's address. What we get is King Benjamin's address, and what he's going to lay out in terms of knowledge and understanding and ways of living and ways of getting along. Um are going to be, you're going to watch them then played out in these other people's stories. Sometimes effectively, sometimes not effectively. When you're going to get to uh, Alma, uh, Alma the Younger, you're actually he and the sons of uh, Mosiah are going to be teaching King Benjamin's address when they get to the Lamanites. And we'll be able to pick out actually the, the things that come from this address is one of the first things that Ammon's going to teach uh, the Lamanites. And the anti-Nephi-Lehi's live by the King Benjamin's address. It's very cool. But you're going to watch, he's, so he's going to lay down the premise and let's see how it worked out for those who did it and those who didn't. And part of it is, how do we get along with those that are different? Is, does that make sense? Sort of? Okay. So that said... Josh, I'm going to borrow a little bit of something that you taught in Institute last Thursday uh, because I think this, it, it comes into play. So what does uh, Mosiah and King Benjamin have in front of them in terms of records? The brass plates, right? And, and uh, one of those things that we love in Isaiah, uh, if, if we're going to look at one of the, the ones that actually comes out of the first chapter, I remember when I was in, uh, as a seminary student, we were doing scripture chase, and we would have scripture chase across different schools. This is in northern Utah, and one of those ones that we had to memorize was 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, because though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, they shall be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Okay, so we were fast in saying, Okay, it's about crimson, and, and we, had our, we had our Bibles all colored in with colored paper so it would just fall open. You broke your little Bible so that it would fall open to that one. Got it! Okay, Isaiah 1. Okay, 119. Yep, got it. Okay, okay. Now, 
Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they're going to be white as snow. So he's really talking about their sinfulness, right? Yeah, right. But one of the things I don't think that we spent very much time on when I was in seminary was what it set it up, the context. Remember we talked last time about how important context is in understanding a scripture, okay? Yes, this is about, though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Awesome, wonderful. How does he get there? How do our sins ultimately, what is, what's required on our part to get to that point? Repentance. Okay, and what does repentance look like? What do we have to do differently? Yes, we do have to change. And look at what Isaiah is saying. Here is one of those things, gang, that you need to do differently. Because again, this is, this is about 100 years before um, uh, Lehi is going to leave town. So this is about like close to 700 BC. This was Hezekiah. Uh, I always tell people when we're going through Hezekiah's tunnel underneath Jerusalem, Isaiah's upstairs. <laughs> we're this time in. These, these marks, axe marks you see in the wall are being dug at the same time as Isaiah's upstairs. Oh, wow, really? So let's get it contemporary, okay? Now, one, wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your, what evil? Of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. What evil are they doing? Judging. Look at verse two, 17. He tells you, learn to do well, meaning you got to do better. What is it that they're not doing? Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Meaning provide for them uh, Adam Miller's new book does a great job of taking the word justice as saying, judge what is needed. You're not judging the sin, you're judging what is needed next. So what he's saying is, judge what is needed for the fatherless, plead for the widow. If you do that, then what happens? Then, then let's talk about this. Because your sins are going to be as uh, right now are as scarlet, they're going to be white as snow. And what you're, one of the things you're going to have to do is don't oppress your poor. Don't oppress your poor. Cities get destroyed sometimes because they are not taking care of their poor. Sodom and Gomorrah is number one example. Yeah. So Lehi gives the great expose on the need for opposition, and the Lord when he's talking, speaking through Isaiah, he is telling these people who are steeped in wickedness and apostasy, you need to repent. And the reason you need to repent is because you have to do good in addition to the evil that you've done in order to have a comparative discussion, a reasoning together, whereby you yeah. come to the conclusion that good really is better. <laughs> yes. And, and you can be forgiven. And one of the things that good is better means, I mean, sometimes in kind of the, the Middle Ages way of thinking is, I can sit in my house, I can sit in my church, I can be very, very righteous. I'm a very good person. And if I neglect the poor, oppress 
the fatherless, I've missed the whole boat. I've missed the entire thing. Yeah. This is a little bit different, but one of the things that I remember is if something was stained scarlet, they could never get it clean. Yeah. It always had a pink tint to it. Yeah. And he's saying that no matter how bad mm -hmm. your sins are, they can be white as snow. In other words, there will be no pink tint. But the other thing going along with what you're saying is, you know, they tell us to learn of Christ. And I think one of the most important things is so that we will become like him, to have the pure love of Christ, to love our fellow men. There you go. There you go. By this, you will know if you're my disciples. You the only reason he gives is if you love one another. another. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're necessarily sitting in your house studying Torah 12 hours a day. Right. It means you're going out and you're saying, I need to do something proactive, well, right? Doesn't the scripture say that even if you give all your goods yeah. to others, it's like, if you have no charity, it's a... That's right. So I'm just going to do it for show, and I'm not doing it with the intent. Um, again, uh, we, we, if you read what they did in Sodom and Gomorrah, it was, it was really kind of interesting. They would put on the air of being righteous. A stranger comes into town. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to give you money so that you can buy food. Then nobody will sell you anything in Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> and you starve in the middle of the street with money still in your hand. And then I gave you the money. And then when you die, I can go back and take the money back. <laughs> but I did give him money. You know, it, it's, it's how we treat the poor, how we treat the oppressed. Uh, that, it, that is coming out here. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. By the way, interesting thing about th though your sins be as scarlet, is, isn't it interesting that Jesus said they need to be washed? Okay? And, in, and then he goes to the absurd imagery of, guess what? We're going to wash those sins in blood. the blood of the lamb. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> when was the last time anything got clean being washed in blood? You know, there's a, it's like Nicodemus going, wait a minute, can a man go back in the, his mother's womb? That's weird. <laughs> yes, I want you to think. Okay, now, so here is King Benjamin, and he's trying to say, okay, I need to teach these people, and I'm going to do it based on an Old Testament model. And so I'm going to go to Isaiah. So then what is, what is King Benjamin going to tell us? If you would always retain a remission of your sins, is jumping ahead to uh, Mosiah 4. If you would always retain a remission of your sins, then what? You will not have a mind to do what? Injure one another. But to live peaceably and to render to every man according to that which is due. J justice, which is what is needed. I need to recognize what their needs are. Yeah, and if I get that, then I understand. I'm, I'm trying to understand what's going on with you. You don't forget the yeah, yeah. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was asked to give a talk in Sacramento, and the gist of it was uh, taking on the name of Christ. 
And uh, I learned a lot. I mean, I knew it, but coming it all together when you prepare a talk, that it's because I, I remember I grew up a Christian, even though even when I joined the church, of course, I took on the name of Christ because I'm a believer. But it isn't just knowing this or having a testimony of it. You have to try to behave like this. Yeah. It's two things. And one of the things in this, uh, in this research was uh, I don't have it verbatim by Brigham Young. And he was saying, some of you judge people, they don't, they, uh, may, they may break the word of wisdom, they may cuss, they may right, right. not do the Sabbath right, but you don't know the design the Lord has for them. And I think that is such a wonderful thing. We don't know the design. We don't know the whole thing. And it seems to me that if we're concentrating on ourselves, to not selfishly, but to seek judgment, in other words, straight, straighten ourselves out, we won't want to judge other people so much. No. but And not only that, we're not just going to judge them, we're also going to size up, what is it they need? And then can I provide that? Two things. One of the things that I also said in my talk was that it's so inspired the way the wards are set up. Because you will find yourself doing service for people that you probably, and working and serving with, yes. that you never would have met. You never would have gotten to know them, and you wouldn't have the opportunities to serve others. Because there's, I don't, I'm sure every ward has needs. Yeah. And I've heard people say, I wish we could pick our own ward. No, that isn't good <laughs> No, it's not good if we pick our own ward. My mother used to always say this to me when I would get on my high horse when I was growing up starting to talk about somebody, judge ye, judge not. And it would always stop me cold because I couldn't argue with it. Yeah. Well, and again, I think, like I've said, I think that's one of the geniuses of our wards is that we serve with and we serve and are served by people that we never would have had contact with, that we never wouldn't have done it if we were picking our own wards. Uh, I, I felt one of those little surreal moments back in, in February uh, when I get called into the bishopric of the YSA ward and we go to church and, and Cindy and I walk into the choir seats and we're standing there and there's a man standing there and I said, hi, I'm Kevin Hinckley. He says, oh, I'm Lance Whitworth. And I said, oh, I'm your counselor. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> he didn't call me. Uh, he was relying on the Plano State Presidency to call who they thought would be helpful down there. But I had not met, I hadn't, hadn't met uh, Bishop Whitworth till that moment. And I said, hope we, you know, it's like, hope we get along because <laughs> I'm now your guy, <laughs> you know, and, and I love this man to death. But at the moment that, that we met to be serving together, we didn't, we didn't know each other at all. And the thing that I, that it's amazing is uh, that if I wasn't serving in this calling, I never would have had a chance to meet this really great man. But that's just, that's just what, how this works, okay? So, King Benjamin is trying to say, guys, from an Old Testament standpoint, if ye yourselves will succor those that stand in need of your succor, you will administer of your substance unto him that standeth in need. Okay. Okay, this is, this is the mark. This is the, this is the tell of a Christian. And you will not suffer that the beggar, beggar putteth up his petition to you in vain. Okay, what, is, what is it that's needed? 
Now, I think this is kind of important. Let me hop over here to Okay. I'm going to show you something interesting here. Uh, okay, I like this. So this is in Mosiah 2, 13. I get the feeling there's a possibility that as King Benjamin looked at the, at the uh, situation on the ground, that he might have occasionally modified the law of Moses. I don't know how many other places, but he appears to be doing it here. Okay? Look at verse 13. Neither have I, when he's talking about, here's who I've been as your king. Neither have I suffered that you should be confined in dungeons, nor that you should make slaves of one another. Under the law of Moses, who might have been confined to dungeons or been made uh, slaves? Debtors. Debtors. They can't pay their debts, so we're going to put you in jail or something until you have, find some way to pay off your debt. <laughs> or you're going to work as an indentured servant. That's how most of the Irish early days came to America as indentured servants. This is how this is going to work. Okay. Now, he says... Neither have I suffered that you should be confined in dungeons or that you should not make slaves of one another. Now, you shouldn't murder and plunder and steal and commit adultery and all that. Yeah, got it. So let me ask, so what's the problem here? If he's not going to put them in, so he's going he's to modify a little bit some of the uh, law of Moses injunctions against this is part of how you take care of debt because they either got into debt Maybe shouldn't have, or they were charged too much debt by somebody. Shouldn't have. So what? What's going to happen with somebody who's in debt and can't pay their debts? What? 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 Turn, what? What do they turn into? Beggars. Beggars. Beg beggars. So the question comes: If I'm not going to put people in prison, then the next question is: Then how do we? Take care of the beggars. Go fund me. You go, go fund me. <laughs> yes, you could do go fund me. Yeah. They must have had the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on, they had the internet on stone tablets. Yeah, yeah. Is it that he taught the principles so well that they didn't go there? Maybe, maybe. But he's also kind of suggesting I could have, but I wasn't going to do it. So now, and those think about when he goes back to that remission of sins, he's saying it's really important that you take care of the poor. Because the, what, what we would have used using the law of Moses, we're not going to use. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put them in prisons. Okay? He might have paid your student loans. There's a possibility of that. Um, now remember... Uh, the, the law of Moses um, provision was even if you're going to serve for six years you'd get on Jubilee you'd be released after seven but they still get six years of begging on their way to that, that seventh year okay now a couple of other things um, in the, the few moments that we've got 
left. Uh, I wanted to... If you read Moses, th th there's this moment here, and, and I need us to really kind of see this, that King Benjamin walks into this, uh, this moment with his people. We think probably this was... Um, this was a festival. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, when they're going to have everybody come to the temple, they're going to pitch their tents with their doors towards the temple. They're going to start to teach. I think they come in as Old Testament people. All they've known is Old Testament principles. But notice how kind the Old Testament principles are. We think of the Old Testament as pretty dang harsh. And he's trying to say there is a way that this is much softer and much more loving. All that. Um, and he's going to say, you know what? Ten, I've not commanded you to come up that you would fear me. Eleven, I'm like yourself. I have all manner of affirmity. In fact, I actually shake just a little bit here. I got my stuff. I'm old now. Yet I've been chosen by this people, consecrated my father, and was suffered by the hand of the Lord. I, I, Think about if you uh, if those were the the uh, guidelines that we put on leaders, those three things are just awesome. I think. How do I become it? Well, I was chosen by the people, consecrated by my father, and suffered by the hand of the Lord. <laughs> That's pretty good. That I should be a ruler over a king and have kept and present been preserved by his matchless power uh, to serve you with all my might, mind, and strength. Might, mind, and strength. Ever heard that in the Old Testament? Shema Israel, Shema Adonai, Adonai Chad. Our God is one God. Hear Him. The Shema, the Shema. Okay. Um, by, by. Uh, might, mind, and strength. Which, which we've talked about. That that last word in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy six. Uh, according to your strength, the actual Hebrew word for that is translated as oomph, with all your oomph, with all, there's not even hardly a word for it, you know, all your mind and you're going to serve God with all your oomph. you willing to serve? Oomph. I'm there, got it, cool alright so I spent Kevin? yeah no, I I saw a pictograph of might, mind, and strength yeah. in one of the churches, and, and it, the strength was easy. It was a guy flexing, you know, and the mind was easy. It was a brain. The might was a little bit difficult, but it occurred to me as I've studied this word might that it is interpreted or translated as determination. Yeah. It is. And it says God is mighty to save. He is determined, determined to save. You know what? This is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality. I'm, this is what I do. This is what I'm about. Okay? I'm not... It isn't my, my work and my glory to punish the heck out of you because you won't get it right. Or glory out of I'm going to come with my vengeance and just smite everybody with my sword. It's my, these are all my children... I'm going to come with my might to take care of him. And he's going to recognize here, uh, and th there's a word here. I've been trying to figure out how far into antiquity this thing goes. I, I know that it, for sure it goes back to the Torah, and it goes back at least 1,500 years. Uh, and 
uh, and I, I put it as a note above this, that the ancient Jewish festivals began with uh, Shekinekenyu, Shekin, the well, it's, it's it, in some ways it's a little bit related to the Shekinah, the the light that would descend on the temple, but not really. What it means is preserved. You have preserved us. You have held us up. And and look at what King Benjamin is going to say. I send you, my brethren, you should rend, if you rendered all your thanks and praise to this God who has kept and preserved you. Twenty one. I say unto you, you should serve him that created from the beginning and is preserving uh, you. Um, and so he's, he's, he's using these over and over and over to kind of, it, it has that Old Testament flavor of God has preserved us. Um, and he's promised that he would keep, if you'll keep commandments and he will uh, prosper you. Now, 25. Again, a very Old Testament kind of thing, right? He's going to say to an Old Testament group of people, you are, you can't say you're as much as the dust of the earth. You were created out of the dust of the earth. What's he quoting from? Genesis. Okay? That's not saying you're a worm. He's <laughs> just saying, look at Adam and Eve. They too were created of the dust of the earth. Symbolically, they're part of this and we've been we've been preserved. Okay? We made it. We're good. Yeah. Yeah, even the dust goes where we tell it to go and you go another direction. Yeah, ab absolutely. Okay? All right. Um, now. So what what's his solution here? Oh my people, verse 32. Beware lest there should arise contentions among you that you want to obey. Okay? 33, for he who, who obeys him remains, dieth in his sins. Uh, the same drinketh damnation of his soul, for he receiveth his wages and everlasting punishment. So in the, in the time we've got remaining, let, let's address this. You're, you're internally indebted to your Father in Heaven. Uh, if you don't, you withdraw yourself from the Spirit, that it has no place to guide you in wisdom's paths. He's, he's pulling from Proverbs and all the wisdom literature, okay? That you may be blessed, prospered, and preserved. Now, look at from an Old Testament understanding of things. Because he has not yet revealed to the people that, by the way, I, vis I visited with an angel and he told me about Jesus and the atonement. From an Old Testament standpoint, look what he's about to tell them. Wherefore, 38, if a man repenteth not and remaineth and dieth an enemy to God, so if you don't repent and you die under this Old Testament understanding, the demands of denying divine justice, awake your inner immortal soul, lively sense of your own guilt, uh, which is like an unquenchable fire whose flame ascendeth forever and ever. Uh, and then 39, now I say unto you that mercy has no claim on that man. 
Wherefore, his final doom is to endure a never-ending torment. How about, uh, Joan, how about next time you're asked to speak in sacrament meeting, why don't you quote that one? <laughs> you know what? If you don't repent, <laughs> your, your doom is a final doom to endure a never-ending torment. Uh, and in fact, in the next chapter, he will say, and mercy has no claim on that man. Well, you find out whether or not they were listening or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's certainly scaring the crud out of them, right? Okay. Now, so hold on. So, and let me just kind of say this a little bit. Do we know more at this point, after restoration and prophets and Joseph Smith, do we know a little bit more than this? We have a higher law. We have, we, we've been given more information. When President Nelson says the restoration is ongoing, he, just, he doesn't mean whether there's just going to be two meetings or three for church. That there's knowledge and understanding that continues to evolve. Okay? This is what they understood that if we're just living the law of Moses and, you're not, and you die not living the law of Moses, what happens to you? You're going to hell. Yeah. If you do, you go to heaven. You're going down to Sheol. You know, down there. Yeah. So he's playing with words here a little bit. Because what he's talking about is not the first death. He's talking about the second death. If you do not accept the atoning sacrifice of the Savior, right. and you die... Hold on. But you know that. Right. They didn't know that. But he did. Benjamin didn't know it until the angel showed up. That's my point. Now, when that happened, whether that was a few years before or whether this was the night before the speech, he says, I didn't know it until that moment when, because my dad didn't know it. Amalekai didn't know it. But we look at it through present eyes and we go, no, the Savior, the atonement. Remember, Elijah came and the temple and ceilings and work among the dead. That's the world we breathe that Old Testament people didn't have. Isn't that weird? So that's why I say they walk in with an Old Testament understanding of things, and they went, oh crap, we got, we got to live the law. Oof, what if we don't? What about those Lamanites that we've been battling? Well, they never lived the law of Moses. Guess they're toast. But do you think he was beginning to sense a higher law, though? As you mentioned earlier, he was modifying the law of Moses. He was. So I think he was sensing it, which was probably preparing him to receive. The, the I see. I think so too. I think it's the same kind of moment. He, he says, "Was he being prepared?" Because he was already. It looks like he was already modifying. Some of this just doesn't make sense to us. Think about that moment when Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith are sitting in the John Johnson home, and they go, "Heaven and hell doesn't make sense." Seems like there's. In my father's house are many mansions, and there seems to be a lot of gradations of people. Putting them only in one of two camps just seems... Let's ask God. Okay, yeah, we'll ask God. <laughs> in 1832, let's ask... Oh, my gosh. We weren't expecting to get what we got with Section 76. But I think, there was, there, I think you're right. I think there's a sense that says, something about this just... There's something missing... And so, um, when, when he gets to, 
we'll just cross over here to Messiah 3. And then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up. So, Josh, maybe you'll actually probably be able to start with Mosiah 3, you know, 3, 4, 5, uh, starting next week. Kevin? Yes, ma'am? A voice? Maybe they were <laughs> ready to learn this other thing. Because you think about a small child. Yeah. You would never let them, no, don't play with a knife. Yeah. Don't touch something hot. Don't, all the things that we do, we don't sit there and think about, yes, some people can play with them, I could have blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'll just use as an example. Certain things that until you're ready to learn them, yeah. and have the maturity and have the whatever, you just learn, don't do this. Yeah, she, 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 she's saying maybe they just weren't ready for it. Well, because actually, you know, because the question could be asked, well, why didn't the angel show up and talk to Mosiah? Why didn't the angel show up maybe at the first part with Benjamin? How come the angel holds off? You know? How come, how come we live the temple uh, ceremony wrong for 50 years and we're sealing everybody to Brigham Young and Joseph Smith and it took 50 years for us to get it right and Wilford Woodruff goes, oh, we should be sealed to our dads. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. How come? Sometimes it's that timing it might just be preparation. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't. But it is interesting that you get the present. This is the first time they've heard it. He may have been ready long before. And, and that's kind of what I'm thinking too. Uh, you, you almost get the impression it was like the night or two before maybe that week. But maybe he's had this for a while. It's just in, I couldn't tell everybody till I got them all here in one group. So, so up till now they've been living the other way. But now I'm about to say, how come I know something completely different um, where's this coming from where's my education and knowledge come from yeah so in words of mormon he goes through benjamin's life experience where he comes and he clears all the lamanites out for 20 days worth of march or whatever and yeah yeah and then he has a whole bunch of iniquity in his kingdom and he puts down the iniquity gets rid of the false prophets whatever and then he has a bunch of holy men preach the gospel to all his people yeah. and all the people of Zarahemla. And when they become righteous, then he starts looking for an opportunity to bring them under covenant. Yeah. And he pleads for it and he pleads for it. And just on the eve of his life. Yeah. Now I get says, to do it. Now it's time. I See, I think so too. So that's why I like the idea of the preparation that... that people aren't ready to take on all the covenants that would come with being a, a Christ person, to be a son and daughter of Christ. They had to be prepared. You had to clear out a bunch of the iniquity. Uh, we don't immediately knock on somebody's door, they like the church, and we baptize them. We say that there's things that you need to get clear in your life before you're ready to do that. Well, baptizing them is one thing because they made a declaration they want to be righteous. Yeah. But taking them to the temple and exposing them to all those covenants and ordinances, yeah. they're, they're just not ready for that. No. It, 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 it is fun. Um, I, I will tell you. Uh, do this thing. Uh, had an interesting experience yesterday. Um, we have, we have a, a recent convert uh, in our ward. And she's been a member, what do you think, Cindy, three months? I think three months, something like that, and she is from. Hindu. She's Hindu. She's Hindu. She was Hindu. Okay, she joined the church. 
uh, she's gotten excited about the church. She's been involved in everything. Um, two weeks ago, she got uh, her recommend to go get her patriarchal blessing. So this last week, she got her patriarchal blessing. And I heard that she got it. So I kind of grabbed her before church, and I said, how'd it go? And she's just like, oh, it was, oh, it was, you know, and she just almost couldn't speak. Now, it was interesting, she says, he, but it, he said that I'm from the tribe of Naphtali. <laughs> well, that's interesting. She says, so I've been trying to study the tribe of Naphtali. To, what does that mean? And I said, my understanding in talking to patriarchs that you need to see it not so much as this is my lineage since we have all of the blood of all the tribes in us from when we were in Egypt, but that's your assignment. You are assigned to the tribe of Naphtali. You have certain responsibilities in that tribe. You need to understand what that is. Okay? So cool. Josh, this is uh, Anaya that just had this experience. Um, but anyway, th there is that moment where, um, and then, he, then in verse 3, and we'll kind of finish with this, in, in chapter 3, uh, I'm going to call your attention for I have somewhat more to speak, for behold, I have things to tell you about what's to come. And then the things which I shall tell you shall be made known, were made known unto me by an angel of God, and he said, and awake, and I awoke. Uh, behold, he stood before me. And then he's going to, then what's going to be laid out for him is the Savior's mission and journey and the atonement in a way that apparently they haven't had before. Okay? Now, from a, uh, from a fun speculation standpoint, just it's always good to end on speculation. <laughs> Any suggestions who the angel might be? Nephi. Possible. Could be Jacob. Could be. Could be. Who died 20 years before? Abinadi did. And if you want to have some fun speculation, read what happens, what he's told in Mosiah 3, and match what Abinadi said to King Noah. Hmm. And either, so one of the fun speculations, maybe it was Abinadi coming to handle this, or it could have been that Abinadi was taught by the same person that taught, we don't know. It's just, yeah, just fun speculation. Just fun spec. I thought you'd like the Abinadi thing, because it's it's back here just a few years. He's already dead when King Benjamin preaches this sermon. Okay, all right. L let me just finish that. Any, any final comments before we call it a day? Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Um, Brothers and sisters, here, here's my testimony. If you, as you, as you spend the next uh, week or two, and you start taking a look with Brother Hayes on the uh, on the uh, what King, Men's, King Benjamin's address, the covenant, the commitment, the change of heart, everything that's going to come out of that, uh, I believe that all of this was partly based on King Benjamin's desire to unite. To take care of one another, and that if and if that's the case, then it doesn't matter if you came from Zarahemla, or Limhi, uh, or Alma's people. 
uh, or whoever you are, you can, you can get along if Christ is your core. And if we're serving, you know, and that's why he's going to say uh, that as long as you serve one another, you're only in the service of your God. So the short answer is the way we avoid contention is service. The way we avoid contention is that we learn to love. Think about sometimes as you as parents, when your kids are fighting, what have you had them do? Clean each other's rooms. <laughs> they serve each other. They're not happy, but okay. You know, you're going to... It's service. We love who we serve. We love who we serve. And that was King Benjamin's uh, focus, I believe. Any final comments? I have a couple of friends who have been in prison. And one has been there over 20 years. Wow. And every time they, their, uh, his parole comes up, uh, something happens and so he doesn't get to go. But the thing that I'm interested in is the fact that during this 20 years, he has run the greenhouse for the prison. He has won, mm. run over and over and over. He has run major projects. And so the number two prisoner says that they take the LDS fellows and they use them as Joseph it was in prison mm -hmm. and they make the uh, they help the prison to run and so they're really not anxious to get rid of them uh, yeah yeah because they're doing too well right and how do we do without these guys both fellows witnessed that that's what's going on today that's it. The one is going to be released sometime this month, and the other one has been out hmm, two months, and they end up with experience to work so they can earn a living, and they end up with all this leadership. Isn't that cool? Well, and in essence, that's what we do with our return missionaries. We send them out and they serve. And they become better people by way of serving. So, it's no big secret here, right? At the end of the day, the key to learning how to love is learning how to serve. And learning how to serve is serving those that are less fortunate. I bear my testimony that the Lord intends that we do that. And that's how he will change us and transform us into people that can return and live with him. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I give us a closing prayer. I don't